Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Today, we're going to be talking about Jesus, Lord of the Harvest. Jesus, Lord of the Harvest. And we're going to be primarily in Matthew, if you had your Bible and you wanted to turn there with me. But we're going to be talking about Jesus, Lord of the Harvest. And this morning is the beginning of a two-part mini-series within the larger series. And so we're going to be talking about outward-focused life this morning. And then next Sunday, we'll come back and talk about church community. So there's this push-pull between uh, reaching out and then digging deep in. Outward and inward for the next two Sundays. And then we'll move on to talk about um, things like care of creation. The Bible uh, tells us over and over again that Jesus, that God is uh, Lord, Master, Lord over all creation. What does that mean for creation care, our role in the physical environment we find ourselves in? Then we'll talk about work. We'll talk about Jesus being Lord of our work. It's where we spend a, um, a, a huge majority of our time. And so a lot of good things coming up in the weeks to follow. We are scattered to gather. If we gather in Jesus' name, we are scattered. We are sent out to gather in a harvest is what we'll learn this morning with Jesus being Lord of the harvest. And we are gathered here this morning to, to be scattered. We're to be sent out. We're brought in to be sent. And we're sent to bring others in. It's this paradox that we find ourselves in if we say that Jesus is Lord, if we claim the Lordship of Jesus. And so this and next week, We're going to be praying and asking the Lord just to take one other person along in the journey. That's right. We're going to be talking about discipleship and evangelism. And all of the introverts in the room are like, oh no, no, not the evangelism talk. I want to challenge us all, regardless of our personality type, to hear the words of Jesus and not to hide behind our personality type. Whether we're introverted or extroverted matters not to Jesus. He's after our heart. I mean, he values you as a person. Introverts and extroverts alike all bow at the name of Jesus. And so I'll just say that right off the top, that Jesus is wanting for us to step into this as a community. This is part of, like financial giving, like um, family issues, like work, like community within the church, this is part of what it means to be a mature follower of Jesus, to grow. It's not just about inviting people to church. That's what I want you to hear. Don't just hear this is another rah-rah, pastor's going to talk about inviting people to church. That's not what this is about. This is about something that's deeper than that, It's really near and dear to Jesus' heart, as we'll see in the scriptures. And it's about growing into the church that he has us becoming. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read Matthew 9, 36 through 38. And as common practice here, we're going to do a little Lectio with it. And so just taking a minute to calm and chew on the scripture and meditate on the scripture, on Jesus' words to us. We're going to read Matthew 9, 36 through 38. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it three times total. 
I'm going to read it, and you don't have to do anything. I'll ask a few reflective questions. There won't be anything on the screen. All you have to do is receive the words of Jesus. I'll read it once, and then I'll read it again, and I'll ask a few questions, and then I'll read it a final time. So Matthew 9, 36. Oh, let's just read 35 through 38. 35 is so good. Matthew 9, 35. We can't skip that. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let's take a minute and just be still with those words. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Every one of us is called to be a harvester. Each one of us can reach a corner of the harvest field that is accessible to no one else. Let's sit with this question. There are so many people who need to hear the message of love and compassion in their lives today. Ask the Lord, where can I harvest? Where can I harvest? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. As we travel in our imagination with Jesus, note the compassion that he views people with. Jesus has a mission For me, who are the lost sheep today whom he may want me to help? And then the last question is, am I generous enough to do what he asks of me to do? Lord, no doubt you're drawing areas of our lives, people, in our lives, circumstances where you want to see harvest. And we're told, Jesus, you tell us that you are the Lord of the harvest and that you are filled with compassion as you look at us, as you look at our neighbors, as you look at our kids, our coworkers.
I pray, God, that these would be your words that I speak moving forward, that you would be speaking to each and every person. We pray, come Holy Spirit, breathe on your word, make us alive and quicken us to your voice. We want to hear you and see you, and we want to do what you're asking us to do. You are Lord. Amen. Amen. Good to just take a minute and sit with Jesus in his words. So as we just read a few times, Jesus is for the first time inviting others into the mission that he has for those who claim him as Lord. This is the first time in scripture that Jesus says, hey, the work is too expansive, the work is too big for one person's hands alone. And so we see here that he's calling his disciples... He's calling others into the work that he has currently been doing. He's been going around, as we read in verse 35, preaching the good news of the kingdom. He's been demonstrating that kingdom with signs and miracles. He's been multiplying the bread and the loaves. He's been feeding people, taking care of the hungry, setting people free from demonic possession. And he's been... um, He's been spreading the good news of the kingdom of God. And so this is the first time we see in the gospel narratives that Jesus is inviting others into his mission. And what a wonderful thing that is. That we get to participate. That he calls us his church. Not just the disciples back then, but us today here in Cleveland, Ohio that he's calling us to partner with him in mission. An amazing moment here we see in Scripture, and we're, we're said that his language is that of harvest. He's using an agrarian kind of analogy there. He may be speaking to farmers around who are listening to him, but he's saying that the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is something that's already been planted, And as I'm sure there are a ton of farmers here this morning listening to me, will know, or gardeners, perhaps let's go that route, gardeners, okay? Many gardeners here. Planting, something's been planted, something has been watered, there's a crop that's been growing underneath of the soil, and in this moment, Jesus is saying, that crop is ready, That time has come. That time is now. The planting season may have been arduous. It may have been long. It may have been um, toilsome and a lot of work been put into it. But now it's autumn. Now it's time to harvest the crop that has been growing for some time now. And how many of you know that's that Jesus is talking about our souls here. He's not just talking about the corn that you pass in the fields of Ohio and rural Ohio. He's talking about our souls. And I think it's helpful to remember Jesus' words here because sometimes, I I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes I look around and you I definitely know it's not you. You guys are all really great Christians. 
And so you wouldn't struggle with this. But for me, sometimes I look around and I see, God, where are you moving? Where I don't see the work of God in that person's life. And you say, oh, for shame, a good pastor wouldn't do that. That's why I say, you guys wouldn't struggle with that, but I do. I look around and I say, where is the work? God, I don't see you moving. And Jesus is here to remind his disciples and to remind us here this morning that God is at work every day in the lives of others, every single human being. It may not look like it on the outside. It may not seem like Jesus is moving to draw that person into fellowship, into relationship with himself. But you can be sure that God never tires of working in every single person's life. There's not one person right now who's drawing a breath where God is not already at work in that person's life. To bring them into communion with himself. His heart beats and bleeds, bleeds for folks to come into recognition that he is Lord and that God, that he is their friend and not against them. And so Jesus uses this harvest language to remind us this morning that God's working. God's at work. He's not tired. He's not sleeping God is working in every single person on the planet's life, even when it may not seem like he is. He is. So he uses this harvest language, and he says that the harvest is ready to gather. The harvesting is now. There's this urgency in Jesus' language as he expresses um, this, this drawing in of others into the mission that he is on from the Father. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The season is now, he says. And so, there's this urgency, and this urgency is laid out by Jesus because in the text it says that this this harvest is bigger than what any of us expected. It's an abundant harvest. It's one that's huge. It's too much for any one person. It's bigger than expected and more than any one worker could bring in on their own. And that's the genius and brilliance of who God is. And we say, well, how? How do we bring in this harvest? Keeping in mind, this isn't another, you know, stereotypical talk of like, hey, go do evangelism, guys. You know, it's not like that. Like, we need, real, we need real kind of paths forward as we journey this with Jesus. You know, how, how, Jesus, how do we bring in the harvest? What does that even mean for us? Well, Jesus says in the narrative that it begins with prayer. And that is really frustrating for me to hear because I'm a doer. How many doers in the room? How many doers? Okay, that should really get under your skin this morning because Jesus says, look at him. He goes, he goes, okay, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So get to work. No, doesn't say that. Doesn't say get to work. He says, ask, ask. That's the first. 
That's really difficult for me to hear. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, what Jesus is not saying as a pastor is ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out this pastor who won't get off his butt and go save people for Jesus. No. All of us. All of us. But he begins with ask. Ask the Lord of the harvest. It's counterintuitive. Pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the harvest field. There's an urgent problem. And we expect Jesus to say, go work. And he says, no, ask first. Ask first. Jesus isn't implying that his disciples won't be sent, that God is going to send somebody else. So all they have to do is stay comfortable at home and remember to pray. On the contrary, the very next passage will have Jesus sending his disciples out. So they're not being exempt from this commission, the great commission. The harvest, after all, belongs to God. So there's this equipping. It's God who must take the initiative and commission the workers. That's very, very important to hear when we talk about being sent when we talk about being commissioned into this thing that Jesus is calling us to be as a community and individually, personally. There's an equipping and an initiative that God takes with us first. God, my old um, pastor, a mentor in Columbus, always used to say that God is the great initiator. There's not anything that starts without him first initiating. Meaning, we didn't come up with that great idea. Renee, Renee's amazing, and I love you. But it wasn't your idea, right, to like take care of refugees. And you may be like me, where I'm like, I don't, you know, refugees, I want to take care of myself. So what my old pastor friend is saying is that that's Jesus' heart in Renee. If there's any goodness there to say that like, hey, maybe we ought to care for the homeless. Maybe we ought to treat our spouses betterly. Maybe we ought to parent our kids in the way of the Lord. Maybe we ought to um, clothe refugees. Maybe we ought to. That ought to started with the initiation of God first. It didn't begin with us. And so God is the great initiator. And so being commissioned, being called into this. Now, sometimes we can use this as an excuse. Well, God hasn't called me to do these certain things, so I'm just not going to do them because he hasn't called me. And believe you me, I've hid behind that for a little bit too, and that's, only, that's a thin veil before he'll call, he'll, he'll get behind that veil and he'll say, hey, wait a second, what are you doing on the sidelines? Get back in there. You know, you guys know that one. It's just to say that Jesus' work is so backwards and upside down that he doesn't start with saying, get to work. He says, pray first. And I believe that this is a message for doers. There may be plenty of wonderful things that you could do to help people who would really, it would really bring value and freedom and joy to other people's lives. But is Jesus really calling you to do that? That would be the question there. Jesus starts with, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers. Ask the Lord of the harvest. It begins 
with prayer. And again, here, the, the genius of Jesus, as we learn to apprentice under Jesus, because prayer is how we partner with God. Prayer, prayer is the space that God has created for us to partner with him, to hear his voice, to hear his words, how he th- his thoughts over our lives, to hear his thoughts over other people in our lives, over our city, over this world. Prayer is the lab. Prayer is where we hear our mission from Jesus. That's how we partner with God. It's how we bring. It's so silly, isn't it? It's so absurd to think that prayer... Our little prayer closet, Jesus calls it a little closet, where it's just him and, him and us. No one else there. No mentors, no, no family member, just us. Just you and me, God. And that's, that's the environment where heaven comes to earth. So counterintuitive. So counter. We want to think where heaven comes to earth is Facebook Live broadcast to every single person on the planet. It's live. It's huge. It's fireworks. It's bells and whistles. Jesus says, nope, the place where heaven comes to earth is when it's just me and you behind locked doors. How many of you know all of those things that we see that have created positive shift in society and culture, that have created um, folks coming into, like by thousands, coming into saving knowledge of Jesus. All, uh, anything that's been, that's been built, that you can, it's a movement, that that started, that didn't start that way. It started in a little prayer closet with one or two people and God, and that's it. That's encouraging for somebody like me. Prayer is where we partner with God. Prayer is where heaven comes to earth. And prayer should always be our first response when we see a need. Not because we're not willing to roll up our sleeves and help, but because we recognize that we need authority and gifting and calling in order to do that thing God is calling us to do. Impossible things. It's a call from God. If it seems impossible for you to accomplish on your own, you can, you can pretty well bet that that calling has come from God. Because the, the calling that God gives is going to seem impossible for you to accomplish on your own. Now, in the ancient past, this is a really cool moment we see here in Scripture, because in the ancient past, there's a, a pagan god, and that god's name was Baal. And Baal was often referred to in the history of the Israelites and the Jewish people um, as they turned away from Yahweh, as they turned away from the one true God, there was an ancient God named Baal who they would worship and trust for provision and for wealth and prosperity and these things. And they would refer to Baal as the Lord of the harvest. It's well documented that this pagan god was called, in formal settings, the Lord of the harvest. And so we get a really awesome picture of how clever and sneaky Jesus is right here in Matthew. And man, just to stick it to you, what Jesus says is he's like, no, Baal is not the Lord of the harvest. 
Yahweh provides for you. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. And so we see Jesus reclaiming his seat of authority and provision in folks' lives by saying, no, it's not Baal who's the Lord of the harvest, it's Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Once again, the story becomes about worship and loyalty. First, pray, because the task at hand is not as important as recognizing the one who is Lord over it. We get back to worship here. It's not about Baal, it's about Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. And I just thought that was a really interesting nugget this week. As I did my study and I prepared, I thought, oh man, he's taking back authority there. He's calling himself the Lord of the harvest. And so the true Lord of the harvest, Jesus says, is himself. It's not Baal. It's not any of those other things that we turn to for provision, for security, for wealth, for prosperity. It's none of those things. The things that we look to that, I, that we think are going to cause us to thrive and going to cause to... Uh, cause us to advance and grow. Jesus says, it's none of those things. Those things are Baal. Only Jesus, only Jesus can call himself the Lord of the harvest. So when we turn to him, we do see thriving. We do see love and peace and joy. And we don't get to dictate the blessing of when that happens or how that happens. But the truth remains in scripture. Jesus is taking back authority. It's an issue of worship. And he's saying, all of those other things are Baal. I am the Lord of the harvest. That's what he's saying. Really beautiful picture there. It's no doubt, though, that the call to harvest is disruptive in our lives. And any of you who have put your hand to the plow know that when you serve other people, when you choose to say, okay, I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray that the Lord would send workers to the harvest fields. I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of the reaping process. I want to serve other people. You can attest that ministry, serving other people always happens at our inconvenience. Otherwise, it wouldn't be ministry. This harvest is disruptive. It's disruptive to our wants and our needs and requires us to lay some of those aside and say, no, it's not really about me. It's about us partnering together to see that others are brought in, to see that others find joy and peace and freedom and love. It's about others finding relationship with Jesus. So I just wanted to note that the harvest is disruptive to our lives. And it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us. And so Jesus outlines this in Matthew, and he says that there's this harvest, this abundant harvest, and pray that the Lord sends workers to the harvest, and at the same time is commissioning his disciples and us today here in Cleveland, Ohio, as a church, to see the harvest brought in. And then later, after his death and his resurrection, Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven. And he says this, and I love it. This is like, this is the goods. In Matthew 28, 16 through 20, Jesus is about to ascend. And Matthew writes this. In verse 16, then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Still at this point, some doubted. 
Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority, there's lordship, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, because he's Lord, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Goodness gracious, tough assignment, Jesus. Thanks a lot, Jesus. Making disciples, baptizing all nations, teaching people to obey. Could there be any... Could there be any more impossible task than teaching people to obey? I don't know. I know how willing I am to obey in my heart. What about you? That is a tough assignment. How do we do that, Jesus? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that you've commanded us to do. Surely I'm with you to the end of the age. Tough assignment. Tough assignment. Impossible. And the short answer, and again, look, I'm not a Bible answer man up here to give you like all the answers to like life's little problems, like Cosmo list, top five ways to like get better. I'm, that's, not, that's not what I'm about. I'm about like, okay, this is an impossible assignment and I'm in the stew with you guys and how can I hear God's voice in this and saying that, gosh, this is darn near impossible to accomplish if, if God didn't send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the power source that you and I need to see this vision, this this mission through. Paul writes that the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus up from the grave now resides within our chests. And so any room that you walk into, whether you feel like it or not, whether I feel like it, whether it's a bad Monday or a happy Friday, You carry the spirit of the living God inside of your chest. And you don't have the luxury of turning it on and off like a light switch in a room. You just carry the kingdom with you wherever you go. And this assignment would be impossible without the spirit of God. But because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, God has purposed you to co-mission with Him into specific circumstances that He's engineered since before you were born to see people set free and lives transformed and hope brought to families and communities and cities that's already been ordained for you to step into and for me to step into. Paul says, you are not just some happenstance of molecules bumping into one another. You are the poema, the poetry of God, the signature of God inscribed on your life to bring forth the kingdom, the rule and reign of God in your own heart, your family's life, your community's life, your cul-de-sac, your co-workers, your fellow students, wherever you find yourself, that the kingdom would be brought to that place.
Yeah? Yeah, that even when we feel like nothing's happening, that God still has a harvest that he wants to bring forth in our lives and in those around us, and that we don't get to dictate how we see that harvest being brought in. Gosh, Mordecai Ham didn't. You guys know who Mordecai Ham is? Who knows who Mordecai Ham is? Not a single soul. Who knows who Billy Graham is? Okay, Mordecai Ham was an evangelist that nobody knows about who God used to preach the gospel at a, at a little revival in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina, and who came, finally, at the goading and persistence of his friends. Through four nights, Mordecai Ham preached his butt off. And his friends, Billy, Billy Graham's friends said, come to this revival, come to this revival, and he wouldn't go. Billy said, nope, not going, not going, not going. Finally, on the last night, Billy Graham comes, Mordecai Ham preaches the gospel, Billy Graham gets saved. Billy Graham has preached the gospel to more people than you and I could ever dream to even come into contact with, let alone preach the gospel to. But yet we all remember Billy Graham. We don't remember who Mordecai Ham is. So I say that to say we don't know what kind of impact that we're having. There's a trust that God has set up our circumstances. He's engineered our circumstances. That Ever have that feeling that you're being set up by God? In the best possible way? And so this idea when Jesus says that my, my burden is light, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and that how, how in, in old agrarian um, societies that, that the farmers, when, when the oxen were treading out grain, that they would set one inexperienced ox next to an experienced seasoned ox and they would journey together. You know, there's a student teacher thing about that analogy that Jesus uses. He says, hey, I'm going to be right there with you. You have my spirit living inside of you. You don't have to be afraid of what's in front of you. I've already been there. It doesn't matter if you're extroverted or introverted. I've already been there. I'm, I'm with you. Could you just start where you are? Evan, could you just start where you are and just bring one person along in the journey with you? Just bring one person along in the journey with you because, hey, that's what it took for you. You guys are here this morning because you're a link in the chain just as Billy Graham was. No matter how great or small the name might be, you're here because you're a link in the chain. Someone took the time. Someone took the time to say, you know what, Jesus, you're the Lord of the harvest. And I'm in that lineage. You're adopted into the family of God. There's a part for you to play. You're a link in the chain. You're here this morning because of some grandmother's prayer that I will never know. You're here this morning because somebody took the time at Campus Crusade for Christ to say, hey, Jesus is amazing and he loves you. You're here this morning because someone walked up to you on the street and said, hey, can I pay for your Starbucks cup of coffee? You're here this morning because someone else, that's the point, someone else took the time to say, hey, you belong. You belong in the kingdom. You belong in relationship with God. You belong in a place of expansive freedom and hope and joy and peace. And that's found in Jesus. Someone took the time to be inconvenient. Someone took the time to say, not my will be done, but yours, Jesus.
And so that's what I want to leave you with to be encouraged this morning. Especially you introvert. Now I'm married to an introvert. And I find myself as I'm growing older that I'm becoming more introverted. I think you're rubbing off on me. I think, Sarah, there's something to that. That's a good thing. I think sometimes there's this idea of evangelism and harvest as something that only extroverts step into. There's a wonderful book written by Susan Cain. It's, it's called Quiet, The Power of Introverts. And if you haven't read it, I want to suggest that you read it. It's not like a discipleship book or anything. It, it, hit, the, it hit the New York Times bestseller list um, because there are over half of the people right now in this room who would identify with being an introvert. And there's sort of this idea about evangelism that it's only for extroverts, that in a room, whether it's a business meeting or at home in a family or wherever, in a schoolroom, in a classroom, that only half of the ideas are being heard because you've got this alpha personality who's just like, this is what we should do and let's do it. And all of the introverts are like, I might have some ideas too. I might have some perspective into that too. But they get shouted down, right? So my encouragement this morning would be to like lean into your strengths, introverts. I know my, my wife might be short, but she is fierce. And my, it's like that sea biscuit analogy, right? But she is fierce. Like there's something that Sarah carries that like I can't, as an extrovert, more like extroverted personality that I can't step into. You know, that... that there's something that you carry that's precious in the kingdom and that where you have access to a portion of the harvest field that I don't have access to. And so, and so I want to encourage you to just start where you are. And that prayer one for introverts, this is a big one that Jesus says to invite, ask God to send you friends. Send you friends, not too many, not too many, but to send you friends to journey that with you. Send you friends to journey that with you.